Hello and welcome to the Addicted Austinites, your one-stop podcast for all things Jane Austen. I'm your host, Catherine Price, and in this week's episode, we are continuing our in-depth look at Pride and Prejudice by taking a closer look at Mr Wickham and the militia. First of all, it's important to note that there is a distinct difference between the militia and the army, or what they would call the regulars. They are two completely separate entities that play wildly different roles in British warfare, and they also have unique reputations with the British public. And those reputations would have informed the way that Jane's readers viewed Mr Wickham. It's actually quite a common thing that people notice about Jane's characters, not just in Pride and Prejudice, but in her other works as well, that the soldier characters are the quote-unquote bad characters, whereas the naval characters are the quote-unquote good characters. Um, but it's not actually the army that Jane is commenting on. It's actually the militia on which she is passing judgment, and it is very important to make that distinction. So, what is the difference between the militia and the army? Well, the Georgian army was very much the same as the army that we have today. It is trained soldiers going to the fight, more often than not overseas, and directly engaging with the enemy in warfare. The militia, however, the modern equivalent, I suppose, would be the home front in the Second World War. The militia was actually a civilian force that were charged with keeping the peace at home when the regular army was away fighting in a war. The militia were never expected to go abroad and fight, and they were definitely not going to be on frontline duty. There was no standing militia in the same way that we have standing armies. There is no group of men that are constantly being trained and are just waiting for a chance to go to war. The militia was controlled by parliament and only assembled during times of war and disruption when they needed the extra manpower to keep the peace at home. Now, in theory, the militia was supposed to be a volunteer force. Um, nobody was forced into the militia. However, in reality, it was expected that all able-bodied uh, Protestant men between the ages of 18 and 45 were supposed to make themselves available whenever the militia might be called. They, would, they are basically on standby for the militia. If you were a clergyman, you didn't have to serve because uh, society thought that clergymen shouldn't be involved in bloodshed and violence. I'll uh, let you draw your own opinions about that. Um, and it was possible that you could pay a substitute to go in your place, uh, but you would have to pay them at least £25 um, to, to do that for you. The officers in the militia were chosen from among the gentry, and ranks were given out according to income. Uh, for example, a lieutenant in the militia had to be earning at least £50 a year to qualify to be a lieutenant. 
militiamen never received any wages. Uh, it wasn't a job. It was a, a volunteer opportunity. But the officers did receive an allowance, um, though it wasn't very much and they were still expected to make most of their money from their property and their business. Uh, and the poorer families of men serving in the militia qualified to have support from the local parish. So structurally, the militia is definitely different from the regular army. But that wasn't the only difference. Their duties and responsibilities were nowhere near the same as the regular soldiers. As I said before, the militia's main job was to keep the peace at home and to defend British shores from invasion. But if you look at British military history, you'll see that there aren't actually that many battles that are fought on British soil, unless we're fighting against ourselves. So militia didn't really have that much to do. So what did they do? Well, their main roles were really training and public relations, neither of which I'm sad to say they did very well. Most of the training was done in the summer months, in open countryside militia camps, mostly along the south and east coastlines of Britain, where the men were expected to become proficient with a rifle and bayonet alongside other weapons as well. They were being taught how to protect Britain, but unfortunately the training wasn't usually of the best quality. It was cheap and it was quick. There was no thorough training in a militia camp. Usually the soldiers would turn up, be given a rifle and then be told to just get on with it. And this lack of intensive training gave the militia a lot more time to engage with the British public. There were often reviews held for local residents by these militia camps wherein the soldiers would be marching, drilling, firing at targets and there were even mock skirmishes as well for the public to enjoy. But unfortunately all of this work didn't really help the militia in gaining a positive public image. It really wasn't very popular at all. First of all the men in Britain didn't like this idea of always having to be available for the militia. It was essentially a draft um, if you look at it um, objectively. Uh, but also, it, the general public didn't like them very much. Tradespeople lost a lot of money um, when militia camps would move around. They never stayed in one place for too long um, so that they could practice defending different parts of Britain. So tradespeople lost a lot of money. Um, but also, the militia had a lot of free time and this led to the image that they had a very wild lifestyle of parties and frivolities. First of which again um, upsets traders uh, because they are losing money to these soldiers when they are buying things and not paying for them. Um, in Pride and Prejudice, um, it is stated that Mr Wickham has racked up quite a lot of debt um, in the town that they're staying in, um, which of course is all paid off on the conditions that he marries Lydia. 
And secondly, this annoyed the general public who were hoping to be protected and defended by this home front who seemed to be spending all of their times partying and drinking and betting. I certainly wouldn't be happy if the body that was supposed to be protecting me was doing more damage than they were defence. This led to a general unpopularity of the militia with the general British public and this is why it seems like Jane's novels are skewed towards naval men because the militia had such a bad reputation and they make the perfect stereotypes for the men that Jane was trying to lampoon in her novels. If you look at Mr Wickham outwardly, he is very charming and gentlemanly and very exciting. It was quite common for the militia to cause a stir um, in the young women of the town they were camping in. But underneath all that, Wickham is wild and reckless and he's really not a good husband prospect for anyone, uh, let alone Lydia Bennett. Uh, but then by the end of the novel, Lydia kind of deserves it, doesn't she? <laughs> that less than perfect marriage. And this all loops around back to the episode we did, not last week, but the week before, about the types of characters in Jane's novels. Because not only is Mr Wickham a cautionary tale in don't spoil your children and just don't be a lying, scheming, so-and-so. Uh, but it's also a cautionary tale in terms of if you are a young woman and you are reckless and flirty and don't think about your future, you'll end up marrying an officer because he's pretty uh, and not having a very good life, uh, a very good married life afterwards. And that pretty much sums up all that I wanted to say about the militia and how they are represented in Jane's novels. Uh, but before I go, I do want to talk about their uniforms. Um, the British Army in this period was famously uniformed in bright red coats. They were actually known as the red coats uh, around the world. And the British Army weren't the only people to dress their soldiers in red but they are arguably the most famous example of this happening. And there are lots of different theories as to why it is that they were dressed in red. But unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be one standard reason uh, for why this happened. More likely than not, uh, the red colour was probably chosen because red dye was rather cheap compared to any other colour. Um, so it would be just more efficient and economical to mass-produce red uniforms. There is another theory that the red colour was used because it helped soldiers to distinguish their fellow soldiers from their enemies on a battlefield where the weapons produced a lot of smoke. Uh, so in that case, the red would have been used to decrease the chances of a soldier dying in friendly fire. And psychologically speaking, there is something to be said for bright colours improving morale. But there is no definite reason. There's no helpful primary source out there written in black and white that says this is why our uniform is red. Some people like to think that the red was used because it would hide the blood if anybody was injured. Uh, but actually that doesn't 
really add up since blood stains on a red piece of clothing would actually turn up as black so you would just see you would still see the blood if somebody was injured and some historians like to claim that it is a symbol of saint george dating back to medieval times because saint george is the patron saint of england and his symbol is the red cross on the white background um, so for some historians the red color chosen for military uniforms was their way of encapturing the spirit of St George and taking it into battle with them. But again, it's probably just a coincidence that the red dye was the easiest to get hold of and the cheapest to make. I don't think we're ever going to get a definite answer as to why red was used, but I think we can all agree that it did make the British Army one of the most stylish armies on the battlefield. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addicted Austinite. I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, like, comment, subscribe it, share it, all of those things that you're supposed to do with podcasts, I would really, really appreciate it. And I will see you next time. As ever, until then, happy reading. Your faithful servant, the author.